Well, I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning. It is so good to be in God's house with you. And, I, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in doing this, doing that, and stretching all the different pieces of the puzzle so many different directions that we don't get everything taken care of the way we probably should. But church, this is Mark Johnson. And Mark, this is the church. And we're so excited to have him with us here today. Um, Mark is an old friend that uh, we went to college together many, many years ago. Um, he has gone on and made something of himself, and I have been a preacher all these years. And, uh, you know, God is good, and he is faithful, and he always does in our lives what needs to be done. I'm excited that you're here. I've, I've had a great time the last several weeks kind of going through the solas of the Reformation. And this morning, we're going to conclude our journey by looking at this simple concept of glory to God alone. That's what we're about. That's what we are about. This morning, we're going to conclude this journey together, and I want you to understand something. This fifth sola is different. It is unique. It is separate from the other four. And I'm going to tell you why. The other four all have to do with salvation, the means of salvation. This one is not about the means of salvation. This one is about the purpose of salvation. You see, we are God's people. Called by his name, called out of darkness into light, called from sin and death into life in Jesus Christ. And because of that calling, we are called and expressly commanded to give him glory through our lives. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We are called to be different than everyone else around us. Now, please understand what I'm saying to you, and don't, don't get this confused, all right? God's glory is his. It is within him. But he also places a portion of that glory within us at the moment of salvation when the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us. And his character, his nature should become evident through our lives, visible to all who will look. The attributes of God are his. But yet through us, he reveals a portion of who he is and what he is about. Say, well, wait a minute. So if, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, God doesn't get glory. No, not at all. God is glorified. He will be glorified. If we ignore our responsibility, our calling, our purpose, he will still be glorified. All of creation sings his glory. In fact, if you remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, uh, the religious leaders came to him and said, hey, tell these people to be quiet. They were praising him. They were rejoicing in his arrival. You remember what he told them? If they're silent, even the very rocks will cry out. You see, all of creation exists to give glory to God. It's about him. And this morning, we're going to look together in Psalm chapter 8. I want us to read this psalm together. It's an amazing psalm of glory to God. David wrote it. 
I've read it so many times. I know many of you have as well, but I find myself reading it and thinking, you know, for a fellow who lived as long ago as he did, who had access to as little information as what he had compared to what you or I have, it's amazing the things that he realized and understood. The reason he did was because, number one, he was observant. Number two, the Spirit of God revealed to him the truth. And I want us this morning to look at his words and ask the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and reveal that truth as well. So if you've got your Bible open, to Psalm 8. If you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Holy Fathers. We read together from His inspired Word. Psalm 8, beginning at verse 1. If I can get this thing to work, we're going to be all over this. Here we go. Psalm chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hear the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, I just ask you to open our hearts and minds. As we examine your word and consider what it says, I pray, Father, that you would teach us the truth we need to hear and to see, that we might know you better, understand the purpose of our lives, and that we've drawn to follow you more closely than ever before. Father, speak to our hearts, teach us your truth. And give us the courage to walk in it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Then all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. An amazing psalm that I believe all of us have heard or read before. In verse 5 we read that God crowned man with glory and honor. You see, glory and honor are not ours. God has them to give. They are His possession. He bestows upon us that glory and honor, but He expects it to come back to him. It's not for our own keeping. It's not for our own purpose or our own use. In fact, I would just simply ask you a question this morning. What is your purpose? I know what my purpose is. I have come to understand over the course of years why God made me the way he made me and what he intends for me to do. What is your purpose? You see, my friends, we all have a little bit different twist, don't we? We are unique in the way he has made us, in the way he has created us. And yet, we all share a common purpose, to bring glory to the Father. Psalm 19, verse 1 says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God. That the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's true, but can I tell you something? The heavens and the skies do not speak nearly as loudly nor as clearly as should the lives of God's people. 
We are created to praise him. In fact, I just want to work my way through this psalm with you this morning if I can very quickly. Would that be all right? Okay. Then let's just do this this way. Let's start with a simple statement, a simple assumption. Nothing new or shaking. It's just the reality. All of creation exists for his glory. Have you ever just stopped to consider how small you are? That ought to make some of us feel good. We're constantly dieting. We're constantly trying to lose a little bit of ourselves. We're trying to to give part of ourselves away. Can I just tell you something? You're little. You're teeny. You really aren't as significant as what you think you are. You may stand in front of the mirror and say, man, I fill that mirror up. But you're not big, folks. In fact, the reality is when we read this psalm, we come to an understanding of how small we actually are. If we're not, we're not paying attention to these words. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look at these first four verses again. David writes, he understands the person of God. He says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic. It's above every other name. This is a great name. God, you are awesome. You are huge. You are big. You are significant. You've set your glory above the heavens. Not in the heavens. Not with the heavens as a background, no. Above the heavens. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now, listen to this. I love this. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. From the very simplest to the greatest, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, when I just look up and I see what you've done, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? We are so insignificant in the scope of everything you've created. The vastness of creation, my friends, ought to be incredibly humbling to us. That was David's observation when he looked around and he saw everything that was. I I can't imagine what it must have been like for him as as a shepherd to be out in the wilderness. No street lights, no headlights, no house lights, absolute darkness, and nothing but the stars of the heavens illuminating the sky above him and as he looked he felt a sense of awe understanding that God was the one who had placed them there the grace and the love of God are proven in the way he cares for us we're insignificant but did you see what David asked what is man that you're mindful of him David is making a point here God is mindful of us. We may be small in the scope of the universe. We may be insignificant in the realm of this world, but God is mindful of us. He is aware of us. He is aware of who we are and where we are and what we are. What is man that you are mindful of him? Listen, don't make the mistake of exalting yourself. There's not really anything about us that is worthy of exaltation. We don't deserve the attention of the Almighty, but because of His love, because of His grace, because of His mercy, He cares for us. This statement that He makes here, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Have you ever really thought about that sentence before? 
I found myself looking at that sentence over and over and over again in my office, thinking about those words. From the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise. How many of you have ever said or had someone say, have say to you, well, out of the mouths of babes, that's where it comes from, all right? Out of the mouths of babes, here comes this, this praise. I, I watch, and I was thinking about this, I, I, I watch people. I, probably one of the things I enjoy the most is observing people because it helps me to realize I'm not as crazy as I usually think I am. But I watch people, and, and, and here's what I've kind of come to observe. We get caught up in everything in the world, don't we? And as parents, grandparents even, I watch. We teach our children about academics, the importance of study, the importance of going to school. Don't you guys forget it. We teach our children to love the things we love. Sports. Shopping. Not me, my wife. Clothing. Food. Music. The things that are important to us, we pass that along to our children. Do we not? Isn't that what we try to do? This is yes. This is no. I think most of you are saying yes. We pass on to our children that which is most important to us. Why is it that we are being told statistically that the church is dying, that our students are leaving, that our children are not believing, if in fact we are passing on to our kids that which is most important to us? Something's not right, folks. Listen. God has ordained from the mouths of children and infants that they would voice his praise. But they must be taught to praise. They must be taught to worship. They must be taught the significance of the one that we worship. Moms, dad, grandmother, grandfather, if we are not teaching this to our kids, we are failing miserably today. And we need to challenge one another. This isn't me standing here barking at you. This is me saying we need to challenge one another to engage, to get active, to be more involved, to challenge our kids to grow up, to understand who he is. If they're going to understand it, we have to understand it. If they're going to worship him, we have to worship him. We have to set the path before them. Is it important? Absolutely. You remember over in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was, was teaching and and people were trying to figure out, how do we get into the kingdom of God? And he called up a child, and he put that child there in the midst of them. And he said, listen, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he was talking about faith. He was talking about believing. He was talking about trusting. But here's the reality. We grow up, and as we grow up, we have a tendency to forget that we have a responsibility to teach our children and our grandchildren the right ways of following the Lord. We exist for his, 
his, his glory. Listen, if you don't understand that, you need to get it figured out right now. All of creation, that's us. We're a big portion of that. All of creation exists for his glory. Your children exist for his glory. Your grandchildren, they exist for his glory. Your family exists for his glory. Everything that we are, everything about us exists for his glory. But where do we fit into the scheme of things? I mean, if we don't do our part, the rocks will take care of it, right? Where do we fit into the scheme of these things? Well, listen, if you look at what David said, he creates for us an amazing contrast between humans and angels. And and I think a lot of times we read this and we just kind of blow by it and don't think much about it, but I found myself thinking about it. Did you see what David said? You made him, talking about man, a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels. Who are these angels? heavenly beings who are these angels what's their function what's their purpose well let's let's take a little lesson here real quick what's the purpose of angels to worship him except there's some fallen angels that don't do very good at that the angels were created to be God's servants his messengers to do his bidding Now, there was a little rebellion that took place, and a number of the angels lost their standing in heaven, and they were cast out. But those who remain still serve as messengers, still do his bidding. We find record in Scripture of the angels coming and delivering the word of God to those that he needed to speak to. Particularly in the New Testament, we find the angel Gabriel appearing several times around the arrival of Messiah, coming to tell what God was doing, how he was doing, what was involved in it. They are God's messengers sent to do his bidding, deliver his messages, and herald his great works. Now, man is not an angel. Isn't that right, ladies? Man is not an angel. But we have been given dominion over the earth, according to what David has written here. We have been placed in charge over the things of this world. We're a little bit lower than the angels, but we're a little bit higher than the animals. God has entrusted us to be stewards of this world in which we live, proclaiming his message, revealing his goodness, Heralding his good works. Now I want you to understand something. Simple little theology lesson here, okay? Nothing nothing earth shattering or shouldn't be, but I want you to get this. You don't get to move back and forth. Angels do not become people. And though I know many times there is this sentiment that comes over us at a time when we are visited by death and, and we say, well, heaven gained another angel today. No, heaven gained the soul of a saint today. The angels already existed. They were created by God. They have been since before creation. We do not become angels. Angels do not become like us. We're made a little bit lower. But can I just tell you something? People say, I, I don't like this preacher. I don't like the fact that the angels are above us. We don't like that, do we? We want to be a little bit higher than the angels. You are, friend. 
You say, well, what do you mean? It says right here that we're a little bit lower. Well, we are in, in, the, in the place that we live and dwell. But can I just tell you how you're a little bit higher than the angels? You can experience God's grace and you can experience salvation. And no angel can ever touch that. They can't experience what God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. They are cosmic observers, but they are not participants. How awesome is that? The question I have is this. Are we doing our part in this world? Those angels are his messengers. Sent to deliver his word, to do his bidding, to reveal his goodness. The same is true for us here on this earth. Are we doing our part? Are we fulfilling our calling? You see, all of creation exists for God's glory. But you know what? The world's a messed up place. When we talk about sin, and I know a lot of people say, well, that's not a very popular term today, and it's not. And I know a lot of preachers don't talk about sin. Y'all are just blessed that I do. A lot of preachers don't talk about repentance either, but we talk about that on a regular basis around here. And there's a reason why I think it's important that we understand that if we don't acknowledge our sin, we don't repent, turn from it, and follow after the Savior, we're stealing God's glory. And all of creation exists for His glory. Mankind, through sin determined to steal some of God's glory. That's what sin's about, isn't it? I mean, whenever Adam and Eve were in the garden and the first sin was happening, didn't Satan say something like this? Surely you shall not die. God's just afraid if you eat that, you're going to become like him. You're going to be able to take his glory. Awful thing. So you know what? Here's what I want to remind you of before we conclude this morning. It's a simple thing. It's a simple truth. But I think it's a truth that needs to be brought to our attention every week. And it's this. To assure the Father's glory in his creation, Jesus came. Before you get too excited and say, wait a minute. Jesus came to save people like me. Yes, he did. But he came to save people like you so that the Father would get the glory out of his creation. That's what it's all about. And by the way, you know what? We're standing here. It's the first part of November. We are racing toward the holiday season. So let me just go ahead and drop a truth bomb on you. This is the beauty of the miracle of incarnation. This is about God putting on flesh. Jesus leaving glory. The side of his father and coming to be with us. I had someone challenge me on this several weeks ago. And I was out visiting one day, and, and he said, you know, I just don't understand this whole thing about God becoming man. If he was really God, he couldn't be man. And, and if he was man, he really couldn't be God. You ever wrestled with that? Well, if you ever wrestled with that and you're a note taker, here's what you need to jot down right now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, where the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Okay, stop right there. Who did David said, say was lower than the angels? Mankind. 
So here's the writer of the letter to the Hebrews saying the same thing about Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. This is so amazing to me. I, I, I just chase this thing around the bush, and I can't ever get my brain all the way around it. This is so awesome. Because, see, if you read the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it tells us about Jesus. It calls him the Word. And he was the creator. In fact, in John 1, 3, it tells us that through him all things were made that were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. He is the creator. And the creator became a little bit lower than the angels. He humbled himself to bring about our salvation so that God could get the glory by redeeming his creation. Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul wrote about this very thing. In verses 6 and 7, he's talking about Jesus and says that he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Friends, never lose sight of this wonder. As we celebrate the holidays, you're going to hear me talk about incarnation. You're going to talk, we're going to talk about the advent. We're going to talk about the arrival of Messiah. But never lose sight of this wonder. The Son of God became the Son of Man in order to save man. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? So that what was lost could be found. Why? So that the Father would get glory from the finding of what was lost. He who was above all things made himself a little lower than the angels, submitting himself to the experience of pain, the agony of death, and the humiliation of death on the cross. But now, oh, now things have changed. And the world may not accept it. The world may not be excited about it. But I want to tell you that things have changed. No longer is he on the cross. No longer is he in a tomb. No, everything has been reversed because you see, today he is at the right hand of God the Father. Today, we need to understand that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That's the name of Jesus. That at that name, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Why? So that the Father could have glory. That confession occurs to the glory of God the Father. Hear me, friends. All creation, all of creation exists to glorify God. You may not understand why you're here this morning, but I want to tell you something. You exist to glorify God. Each one of us exists. We live, we breathe, we are because he wants to be glorified through us. But we cannot glorify him adequately 
sufficiently or in a way that pleases him until or unless we are ready to confess the name of Jesus Christ the name which is above every name and if you want to know is his name worth exalting is his name worth confessing is his name worth praising I would just challenge you to go back to Psalm 8 and look again at the first verse or if you prefer at the last verse and hear what David said O Lord our Lord How majestic is your name in all the earth. Listen carefully. There is no other name given among men by which you must be saved. Are you giving him glory through your life today? If you are, you ought to be rejoicing in that. Man, your face ought to be lit up and you ought to be ready to stand up and sing his praises right now. But if not, I want you to know something. God loves you. He has a purpose for you. He sent his son for you. And today he will make you a new creation if you will surrender to him. Would you do that? Do you need to do that? Say, I'm not sure I understand. It's okay. In a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to start singing a song of commitment. Can I just tell you something? It's not to make the service longer. It's because I want to make sure that if God is speaking to you, if the Word of God has spoken to you and you feel the need to respond, that you have an opportunity to respond. I don't know what to do. That's why I'll meet you right here. I will not embarrass you. I will not put you on the spot. But if you have questions about how to become a child of God, I want to help explain that to you. Eternity hangs in the balance. The glory of God is waiting. What would you do? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. If you need to come, I invite you to come. No one's going to push you. No one's going to press you. This is God's invitation to you to respond to his voice. It may be that you sit there and you say, I I know I gave my heart to him when when I was younger. I gave my life to him. I've struggled and I'm struggling now. That's okay. Run to Jesus today. It, It may be that you're saying to yourself, I've never done that. I've been in church my whole life, but I've never turned from sin. I've never turned to Jesus. Come to him today. Maybe you're just simply saying, you know what, I'm I'm broken today, Pastor, because of a relationship, a family member, a situation. Okay. The creator of the universe stands ready to hear your cry. Would you call out to him? Would you just lay your burden down in front of him and say, Father, do with this whatever you desire to do. Maybe you came here and you're looking for a place where you can serve, a place where you can worship, a place where you can belong and be a part of the body of Christ. If God's leading you here, we want you to be here. What do you need to do? My friend, however God leads, just hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A word that reminds us of who you are. And yet at the same time revealing how much you love us, how deep and how great your love is. Father, we exist for your glory. 
We exist to serve you and to make your name known here and among the nations. Father, I pray that today you would speak to our hearts. Even as you've spoken through your word, I pray now that your spirit would call, would draw, would convict, would change. Father, our lives need to reflect the power of Christ. We're not capable of doing it on our own. It has to be you dwelling within us. And so we pray, Father, move, work, change, conform us to the image of Christ. Have your way in each of our lives. Be glorified in us today. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.